0: Okay. Oh, there we go. I'm on now. Okay, well, man, tough act to follow, right? So uh, I guess I'm lucky to get to to follow this today, and um, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to come and just share with you guys and close out this series that we've been doing the last few weeks. Um, If you haven't been here, we've been doing a series kind of vision casting, um, talking about the vision of heritage and, and what're we're, what we're doing what we're working towards uh, what we want to be what our vision for you is as well um, and we've been doing that through marching through Jeremiah so uh, well- timed uh, scripture um, to get started, I want to kind of give you a recap of where we've been uh, since I'm closing the series up. Um, part of what I'm doing is trying to put a little bow on it and and, and just finish this up so that we can move on to the next thing, but also see um, where all of this that we've talked about is going to lead to. So the first three weeks, we really were talking about just discovering uh, what God's design or what his plan for you is, right? And we talked about there being a calling on you. Everyone has a calling. God places a calling on each of us as believers. There's universal callings, and then there's callings that are specific to you, right? We know that there's universal callings, like to spread the good news. That's something that we're all called to do as believers. There's um, caring for the widows and the orphans, or the vulnerable of our population. That's not something you need an individual calling to do. That's something that we're all called to do as believers, right? But there are things that are specific to you as well, So part of what we've been doing through this series is trying to help you figure out what is God's individual calling on your life. And that was the first three weeks. (coughs) Weeks four and five were really more about once we've been able to help you identify those, helping you lean into those callings. Both the universal and the individual calls on your life. So once you have that call, how do you lean into that? Right? And we talked about how Sometimes the problem might be that it's hard to distinguish the good from the actual calling, right? There's a lot of good things that we can do as believers. There's a lot of good things that we can put our time and energy into as believers. But if you have a specific calling, your time needs to be focused there. Your effort needs to be focused there. And then we, talk about, we talked about how to um, invest into that calling in those two weeks. Well, today, uh, we're going to go uh, a little farther. We're going to take that next step. Um, but want to talk a little bit about how this ties into the vision of, of heritage, right? You see on the wall, encounter, unite, impact, right? So part of our calling as a church, part of our vision as a church, is that we come together and encounter God together that we live our life in community together. And that we come together to figure out God's calling on us as a church, but on you as an individual and how to walk that out together to make impact on the world together, right? So this is, this is why we chose this series because we think it helps us get to the third of our three visions for heritage is the impact, right? If you don't know your calling you can't lean into it, and you can't invest into it, then we can't impact the world around us as, as a group of believers and as individuals. So, first I want to talk about a guy, and I've got a picture. I think it's ready to go up. Do we have the picture? This guy, okay. Anybody know who this guy is off the top of your head? No science geeks in the room. I'm a science geek, I'm telling on myself. Nope. Okay, this is Alfred Nobel. Okay. Alfred Nobel is one of the greatest inventors the world has ever seen. He holds over 350 patents. At one time, he had factories in over 20 countries in the world. And this was in the late 1800s. In the late 1800s, Alfred Nobel was not only the leading inventor, but one of the leading scientists and a leading industrialist in the world. He had factories in 20 countries. So he was a great man. He, he, he did a lot for the advancements of science. He was actually, by trade, he was, a Swedish, he was from Sweden, and he was a chemist, okay? So many, many of his patents were in the area of chemistry. Well, interesting an ha- interesting thing happened with Alfred Nobel. <clears throat> he was kind of a household name. People knew who he was because of all of his patents and his inventions. And in 1888, his brother, Ludwig, died. And when Ludwig died, the newspaper got Ludwig confused with Alfred. So the newspaper thought Alfred had died a man who was, who was well-known and who was a, a household name. So an obituary spread saying that Alfred Nobel had, had passed. And this man, who had over 350 patents and had, had uh, factories around the world, one of the leading industrialists, a business leader in the world, do you know, what they, you know what name they gave him in his obituary? One, could, one might think, like, inventor, right? They may say he was an inventor. Or that um, he was an industrialist, right? But they didn't. They called him the merchant of death in his obituary. Because his leading invention the one everyone knew him for, was dynamite. Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. And in the late 1800s, dynamite, his intention was for mining, and it was used for mining, right? But it was also used in war. And more men had been killed by dynamite in war than almost any other weapon in the history of man. So he was called the Merchant of Death because of the one invention that that they chose to recognize in his obituary. This man who had given his life to science, who had invented so many things, who had contributed to the world through business and science, he was going to be known as the merchant of death when he died, and he couldn't handle that, because he didn't want that to be his legacy. He didn't want to be remembered as the merchant of death. So he took that obituary as an opportunity to change what people would remember, and he took a huge portion of his fortune and created the Nobel Committee. If you've ever watched an episode of Big Bang Theory and you know Sheldon Cooper, you know about the Nobel Committee, right? Anyone know what the Nobel Committee is? Okay, well, we have a few people who've watched Big Bang Theory. But throughout the Big Bang Theory, Sheldon is hoping to win a Nobel Prize, right? Right? We've all heard of the Nobel Prize. Well, Nobel created this Nobel Committee so that every year, in perpetuity, he had money set aside to give a cash prize and an honor to people who had made advancements in science in different areas, physics, chemistry, medical, all these different areas. But the one everyone knows the Nobel Committee by is the Nobel Peace Prize. He decided that he didn't want to be the merchant of death. He wanted his life to be remembered for peace. So he created this prize for someone, for a person who made contributions in the area of advancing peace every year. So he was concerned about the legacy that he left, and he came up with a way to change that. And that's what we're going to talk about today is we've talked about that calling on your life. We've talked about how to lean into that calling, how to invest in that calling, and today we're going to talk about legacy. We're going to keep reading out of Jeremiah. Um, So if you've been with us throughout the series, you know that, uh, like Clint said, a lot of people refer to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. He's one of the major prophets of the Old Testament, and he brought a message to Israel, and that message wasn't very positive, right? He had to bring a very, um, a very hard message to Israel, and he, and there was a lot of pain in it for him, right? So, but here in uh, chapter thirty-three is where we're going to be today, um, and we're going to read verses fourteen through fifteen. It's on the screen if you want to. Flip to it, feel free. If you want to pull out your little device and hit your buttons, do that. Whatever you want to do. But I'm going to read. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will rise up righteous descendants from, the, from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved And Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says. David will have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel forever. And there will always be Levitical priests to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices to me. Then this message came to to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and the night, so that one does not follow the other, only then will my covenant with the servant David be broken. Only then will he no longer have a descendant to reign on the throne. The same is true of my covenant with the Levitical priests who minister before me. And as the stars of the sky cannot be counted, and the sands of the seashore cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of my servant David and the Levites who minister before me. The Lord gave one message to Jeremiah. He gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, "Have you noticed what people are saying? The Lord chose Judah and Israel and then abandoned them. They are sneering and saying that Israel is not worth worthy to be counted as a nation." But this is what the Lord says I would no more reject my people than I would change my laws that govern night and day, earth and sky. I will never abandon the descendants of Jacob or David, my servant, or change the plan that David's descendants will rule the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, I will restore them to their land and have mercy on them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this message that you've given us through Jacob, or through Jeremiah and the nation of Israel, Lord. God, we just pray that as we uh, move from this place, Lord, that you'll let us um, see our calling, God. Make make the calling that you've placed on our lives clear and help us to lean in, push into those, Lord. And then help those things become our legacy. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, so we know that um, a lot of bad things happened uh, in Jeremiah. Uh, he had to bring a lot of bad news. Um, but even after all this, all that happened, Babylon coming in, defeating Israel, taking over most of their lands, God had this moment with Jeremiah where he said, My promise will not fail, it will endure. Right And we know from, from Jeremiah that this promise is not necessarily one that he's going to see, but God wants him to know that it's true, that his promise will not fail. So first thing I want to talk about is because we're talking about legacy today, is the legacy of heritage, our body. When you think about heritage, we talk a lot about wanting to impact Clinton. We want to impact this town. And then we say, but also our state, nation, and world, right? So we want to have impact on, on wh- where we are in this city. And for those of you who've been around here for a little while, you know that we, we do that in, in at least one particular way, right? So if you had to say, what's one area that heritage leans into, and that it's going to be part of our legacy, what would that be? What's that? Foster care, care, right? All right. So we are a church, a body of people who have answered the calling to care for the vulnerable and the weak through foster care, right? So interesting thing, though. When this church was planted, was that the intent? No. foster care was not part of the intent when this church was planted. Do you know how it became part of our calling and our identity and our legacy as a church? It didn't come through the design of the church, a program of the church. It came through individuals in the church. In the very early days, you guys, some of you guys may know them. You may not know them. It was the Averets and the Vongsness. Okay? The Averitts and the Vongsness were part of this church from very early. And they brought that calling to foster care here. To Heritage. That calling, more people came that brought that calling with them. The Laramers came. The Lairds came. And as we were here, that calling became... It was our individual calling, but it became part of the calling that God placed on us as a church. Not because of a program we created. Not because of the way the church was planted. But because of the calling on an individual. And that calling came to Heritage and it spread. Right? The individual calling that people brought with them became the calling for the Lanfords and the Messers. And the Edmontons and the Sparks, right? So it's become and not to forget the Samsons brought it too. They brought it with them. So it became a part of our identity, part of our legacy, part of our calling, because it came with the individuals that were part of this body. So we want to let you guys know that as Heritage Fellowship, our legacy It's not our programs, and it is not the way we were built. It is you. You are our legacy. Your calling, that individual calling that God has placed in your life, that is our legacy. Your calling may become our calling. When the community looks at us and says, what are we doing here at Heritage?, What we want to be able to say is that we, one, we're creating disciples, right? And that we're helping those disciples identify their calling and lean into that. That's what we want. If we're going to impact this community, it's going to be done that way. It's going to be done by creating disciples who understand that God has placed a call on your life and give you the, the, the tools you need and the backup to lean into what God has called you to do. Our goal is not to have a program for everything in Clinton is to send missionaries into Clinton, into every part of Clinton, right? We want missionaries at the library, in the hospital, at the schools, at Thornwell, Miracle Hill. We want, in Fairfield County, fire department, at the prison, we want missionaries going into Clinton everywhere they go, into Clinton, our community at large. That's how we're going to impact this place around us. It's not going to be through a program we create here. It's going to be through the lives of you, through your lives, where you go and where you walk every day, and taking that call with you and living it out, making that part of your legacy and our legacy. Got ahead of myself, sorry. So, we've been reading through Jeremiah, and again, uh, one of the things to, 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 to know about Jeremiah, as we read through it, um, he was not always confident, right? He didn't always feel completely confident in this call that God had placed on him to be this prophet. In some ways, maybe Jeremiah could have been called the merchant of death, right? He, he had a pretty... Doom and gloom vision and, and prophecy to bring to Israel. Right? And he could easily have said, just like we can when we have this call as individuals, we can easily just say, I'm, I'm not good enough. I, ca- I can't do it. Right? That guy's way better to do that than I am. We could easily do that. Each one of us can make an excuse. We can have reasons why it shouldn't be us. We can lack the confidence, think there's no way we can accomplish what God wants us to. But we know that Jeremiah went through the same things we did. Right? Well, in the end, here in chapter 33, after Jeremiah's had to do all this prophesying of these horrible events that were to come, the fall of Israel, God came to him and said one last thing. My promise will not fail. Right? And for us we know. That part of that promise comes through us. Walking out that calling. Jeremiah walked out his calling. And, had, and got to deliver this message. To his people. One of the beautiful things about us walking into this calling. And trying to accomplish whatever it is that God has moved us into. Is that. We are broken People, We don't possess the things we need to succeed at what God has called us to do sometimes. Right? But God uses imperfect people to accomplish His perfect plan. For God's perfect plan, He calls imperfect people to do that. My question is, for God's plan to come to fruition, for his perfect plan to be done, does he need us? The most powerful entity in the world in, in the universe? Does he need our help to accomplish his will? Is he powerful enough to do it without us? Can he call down the host of heaven to accomplish his will without us if we choose not to? Absolutely. We, we, we serve a God who is so powerful that he doesn't need to use broken and imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. But he chooses to use imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. And I don't know about you guys, but that's motivating. That's exciting. That God would give me the opportunity to step in and participate in something that I don't even have the power to accomplish without Him. That He has all the power in the universe to do the very thing He's asking me to participate in, but He's asking me to do it not because He needs me to do it, but because He wants me to be a part of it. He wants me to be a part of His legacy. A God who has a legacy that His promise will never fail. We get to be a part of that because He calls us we get to step into that, even when we, he doesn't need us to do it, but he, he allows us to be a part of that. Band, you can start, hit it up. A lot of you guys know, um, a lot of you guys know a bit about my story, and um, <clears throat> right after graduating college, I married Megan. Um, and we started this weird and crazy life of ours where right out of school, just married, 22 and 23 years old, we become temporary parents for eight kids. Right? Sounds ridiculous. A 22 and a 23 year old, I was not ready. I didn't have the skills necessary. The, The people who hired me were idiots for hiring me. Because they had no reason to believe I could do what they were asking me to do. Zero reason to believe that I could do what they were asking me to do. Because I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the experience. Right? Well, we, we always knew that God was going to give us a family of our own one day. Right? That we were temporary parents for now. And that God was going to give us a family. And we always kind of knew, because we were in that world... That adoption would be part of that, but we didn't know that it was going to start that way. Right? So we were trying to walk out the commitment we had to God, this push into foster care, <clears throat> and then it came time we were going to start our family. And guess what? It, it didn't work out, right? Um, Megan had medical issues, we couldn't have children of our own. We were crushed, we dealt with hardship. We endured. We pushed on. So we continued to push into that call of foster care and adoption. Right? We're like, okay, well, we can't have kids of our own, but we know there's a lot of kids out there that need us, right? And we began the process to adopt a sibling group. And it failed. It didn't happen. More hardship. And we could have easily have said... No, we're we're done. We're abandoning our call. We're not pushing in anymore. We don't believe the promise that God gave us anymore. But we kept pushing. And we got a call about a little girl. And we were a day away from having her in our home and it failed again. It failed again. Pushed on into that call, and a month later, we got a call for Lorian. His promise never fails. Let's pray, Lord. Help us to lean in to what you've called us to do. As we face hardship and trials, help us to push on. Help us to lean in and pursue what you have for us. To do your work. God, help people to know us. Help our legacy to be that we leaned in and that we fought hard to do what you wanted us to do. But Lord, most of all, let our legacy be that you never fail. Amen.